Stephen Jay Gould, the world-famous paleontologist and uh, evolutionary biologist, he taught at some of the leading universities of the country, Harvard, NYU. He died back in 2002. But at one time, he was asked the question in a a Q&A session, uh, why are we here and what is our purpose? The answer that he, he gave, he said, uh, we're here because one group of fish had a peculiar fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. In other words, like nobody put us here. You know, we're a wonderful cosmic accident. We are born, we live, when we die, we rot, and, and that's it. And you know, that's one of the, the basic worldviews of of the day. You know, if those are the assumptions that somebody has about human existence, then it necessarily follows that any meaning that that exists, like all meaning is essentially self-created. I mean, it's not like you get a meaning from above. Um, You know, meaning is what you decide to make it. And so if, I don't know, if if yoga works for you and you determine that that's what you're going to live for. Uh, Or if it's Spartan races, as the advertisement says, it's not just a race, it's a way of life. It's funny how often that phrase keeps popping up. You know, surfing is not just a sport, it's a way of life. And fishing is not just a hobby, it's a way of life. But essentially what we're saying is, you know, whatever the individual decides that gives their life sort of meaning and purpose to make this time bearable, uh, you know, I guess more power to them. You know, one can only hope that in the present crisis, people will, it will cause people to start to reassess the answers they give to those questions. I mean, we all know that mortality has a way of doing that. I certainly hope that we as Christians uh, reassess our answers that we give to those questions because we really have a tremendous opportunity to re-ask the question, why are we here and what is our purpose? Why, why are you here? Instead, let me suggest this, instead of giving the normal individualistic answer that we give as Christians, that's a true answer. You could say, I'm here in order to have communion with God and to worship God. I'm here in order to be sanctified and become more like Christ. Uh, Christ likeness is why I'm here. That's my purpose. What if we were to give the more corporate answer? We are here in order to be part of the body of Christ. We are here to be part of the body of Christ, to be united to the Son, who's at the right hand of the Father, and to be united to each other, to be intimately connected to the Son and to each other as the body of Christ on earth for such a time as this. And what I'd like to do now is consider 2 Corinthians 12 and how the present crisis, what, what the present crisis could mean for the body of Christ on earth. Uh, verse 1, just very briefly, he says, I, I must go on boasting. I'll get brief background to it. Corinth was a major you know, port city in south central Greece where, uh, so I think it was actually destroyed by the Romans in 146 BC, and then it was later refounded as a colony. And when they refound it, it was quickly populated largely by slaves and freemen who saw in Corinth an opportunity for social and economic advancement. You know, what, 
There were opportunities there that weren't available in the rest of the Roman Empire in more settled cities. So it was kind of like the American West in that respect. You, you would go there to make a name for yourself. Uh, you know, upwardly, upward mobility. It's not a stratified culture. You could actually get somewhere. Yeah, and it, so it was very ambitious. It was um, status conscious. People were bent towards self-promotion and often publicly boasting about their accomplishments. And that's why the word boasting occurs so frequently in Paul's letter to, to, the, to the city. And so he's, he, he's just in chapter 11 done a reverse boast where instead of boasting about his accomplishments, he actually boasts about you know, yeah, all of his misfortunes and struggles and failures. Um, and now he goes on to boast a little further I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. The third heaven. So in Hebrew cosmology, the first heaven is the atmosphere. The second heaven is the sun, moon, and stars. And the third heaven is the, you know, the... the, Where God is located, wherever that is, whatever dimension that is, where the throne room of God is. I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows, was caught up to paradise he heard inexpressible things, things that no man, that the man is not permitted to tell. Yeah, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. And so you notice how he recounts that whole story in the third person, as though he's talking about somebody else. But verse 7 indicates he was clearly talking about himself because we read, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Well, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Some would say that the uh, coronavirus is, is simply doing what it is programmed to do, right? You know, it's a virus. It's, it's supposed to infiltrate, invade other cells, hijack the DNA of host cells, and reproduce itself within other cells. And so it's like, it's just doing what viruses do. It's natural. It's just natural. What Christian theology would say about it is that well, yes, it's natural, but it, it is, in the technical word we would use, it's a natural evil. It, it's not part of God's good creation. It is, you know, Genesis 3.18. It's part of the thorns and thistles that now grow up 
in a fallen world. Isn't that interesting? Thorns and thistles is what is, uh, was spoken about there by Moses in 3.18. And it's also part of the bondage of decay that Paul speaks about in Romans 8.21. The bondage of decay that creation has been subjected to. What's incredible, though, is that something that small... <laughs> I mean, it can cause so much damage. So you know, you, maybe you've read that uh, coronavirus is, is only 100 nanometers in diameter. To put that into perspective, if you take about one meter at this distance and you lined up a coronavirus after a coronavirus and a lion, you know, back to back, 10 million coronaviruses would be located in, in about that, uh, that distance. I mean, that something so small could wreak such havoc upon... You know, the human body, entire economies, and our whole matter of life. It is an, I think it is safe to say that it is a tool of Satan. And yet, you know, that thorn has also been permitted by God to come into this world. And so I thought it would be really interesting to consider 2 Corinthians 12 in light of the fact that a thorn has really pierced the body of Christ. And the fact that you're in your living room and I'm up here preaching to five people today. I mean, around the world, churches aren't able to meet. We're not able to to gather and have the Eucharist. You know, there is a a thorn that has pierced the body of Christ. And I thought it'd be really interesting to look at 2 Corinthians 12 and how Paul's thorn might be instrumental for, you know, the body of Christ in the present crisis. So with that in mind... Number one, what is the purpose of Paul's thorn? We'll begin there. uh, Verses two and three. It's funny because he keeps saying, I don't know if it was in the body or out of the body. I don't know. God knows. He doesn't, he's experienced something that's so ineffable. Whether it was a visionary experience where through a vision he was taken up into heaven, or he considers the possibility that his physical body was like lifted off of earth and taken into the third heaven. He, he saw things and heard things that are simply inexpressible. In fact, he says that he's kind of, he's under a gag order, that he can't talk about the things that he saw and experienced in heaven. And I'd like you to wonder, or think about, just imagine, if you were selected for, for an experience like that, you know, a tr- an utterly transcendent experience, wouldn't you be, be tempted or prone towards uh, becoming arrogant when you came back to earth? I mean, that's exactly how he interprets it for us, this thorn in verse 7. He says that on one hand, it is an affliction of Satan to torment me. On another hand, it is a tool of God to humble me. God put it, God permitted it to to humble me and keep me from becoming conceited by what I have seen and what I have heard. And it just, it begs the question, is part of the reason God has permitted this this thorn in the body of Christ, is it not to humble her? To humble her deeply? And we live in a culture, Western culture, Western civilization, that I, I would say is fairly arrogant. I mean, as this virus was spreading through Asia, did you notice how many people, they're like, oh, that's Asia. What's happening over there won't happen to us. That's Asia. It's their diet. It's their overcrowded cities. Our, our manner of life is so different and, and so much, you know, 
better. I heard that. You heard that. There is a certain level of arrogance in Western society. I mean, that's, there's, uh, what, um, I I can't even think of the word, but uh, racism. There is some racism in that that, um, response. I also think that if we're not careful, our faith, as beautiful as it is, predisposes us towards a certain level of arrogance. I mean, after all, if we really believe that God has uniquely revealed himself to us in this book in a way that he hasn't revealed to all the other religions of the world, if we really believe that we have discovered the, the big answers to the questions of life in the person of Jesus Christ and his life, death, and resurrection. If we really believe that now the Holy Spirit of God has come like, to dwell in, in, in us, while we may not have been translated to heaven, like those faith claims are, are every bit as grandiose, aren't they? And so if we're not careful, um, our faith, it will lead us into arrogance. But physical suffering has always been a tool that God has used to deeply humble people, isn't it? I mean, when we lie in bed with the flu, think about the last time you were confined to your home or to your bed. You felt so weak, horrible, and helpless. Whatever illusions we have of self-sufficiency, they melt away in body aches and fever. And it just, it makes you wonder if this present sickness will not humble us and it might, will not humble all saints. Maybe it'll have the effect of the quote on the front of your bulletin. Yeah, I love this one by Sam Alberry. Uh, churches should feel more like the waiting room for a doctor and less like a waiting room for a job interview. <laughs> In the latter, we all try to look as competent and as impressive as we can. Weaknesses are buried and hidden, but in a doctor's waiting room, we assume that everyone there is sick and needs help. And this is much closer to the reality of what is going on in church. Amen. It's true. I hope it has that effect on us. So what was the purpose of the thorn to humble him? Secondly, where did the thorn lead Paul? And we find the answer in verse 8, if you want to look there. He says, three times... Three times I pleaded with the Lord that he might take it away from me. And he's not saying, I only prayed about this three times. Or I only, you know, only gave, lifted up three prayers. Three is, of course, Paul's way of saying that this was a, a prayer that I per- persistently, repeatedly asked God. Like, please, please take the, the thorn away from me. Take it away. Obviously, Paul is not a masochist. He doesn't want the headaches or the eye ailments or... Uh, the gout or the rheumatism or you know, all of these other phil- uh, physical ailments that had been proposed by scholars to be, that were the actual the thorn. He didn't want any of that, whatever it was. He wanted it to be removed. He wants it to end. And notice, I, I find this so fascinating, notice whatever, this was a thorn that he could not remove on his own. Even the Apostle Paul could not remove it. Uh, You may have read in the news last week that a purportedly Christian television program, The Jim Baker Show, hosted Cheryl Selman, a, quote, natural health expert, who was selling a coronavirus treatment called the Silver Solution. 
And she said she had tested the product while the product, sorry, had, while the product hadn't been tested on this strain of coronavirus, on other strains, it had been able to eliminate it within 12 hours. And this silver solution is yours for a mere $60 a bottle. These shysters were selling it on the television until the uh, state of Missouri stepped in and filed a lawsuit. And I hope they throw the books at the, these guys. They're absolute snake oil salesmen. Or then there was another televangelist, Kenneth Copeland, standing in front of an on-screen banner that read, uh, Standing Against the Coronavirus, as he instructed viewers to place their hands on the television in order to receive their healing. And in response to thousands and thousands of other churches that had closed uh, and didn't hold services that this past Sunday, he said, well, what we'll do in our church is we'll just pass around thermometers and anybody who has a fever, we'll just call them up to the stage and heal them. And you're like, why, Brad, why are you even talking to me about heretics and yahoos like that? Because they're always doing something reprehensible and weird. I just wanted you to see what a contrast it is to the Apostle Paul. For when he had a thorn in his flesh, he didn't lay hands on himself to heal himself and remove it. He couldn't. And even if he could, it would have completely undermined the whole reason that he was given the thorn in the first place. And think about, think about the last time you prayed to God, like, Lord, please remove this thing, this terrible thing from my life. Uh, remove it. And you prayed and you prayed. In really desperate situations, you went on to say, Lord, I can't even take another day of this. Please help me do something. And what happens? Usually nothing. Nothing happens for a very long period of time. It, it feels like nothing is changing. Things aren't, aren't getting any better. It feels like, like heaven is closed and, and there's a you know, no vacancy sign. Until, until one morning when you, you wake up and you realize that though the thorn is still embedded in me, something has happened. Something has happened. I, what has happened? It still hurts. Things are still not all right. But something has changed. What has changed? It's the grace of God. Like you sense his presence and he becomes real to you. It's the grace of God. That, that, that then you, you then feel like I can, I can endure because he is with me. This verse, verse 9 or three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's the very words that we hear from him. And so, you know, Paul was right to believe that God wanted to give him relief from this messenger of Satan. Paul was wrong to believe that the relief would come through its removal. Because most of the times in life, when God helps his ailing children, it is not through the immediate removal of the thorn. But as Paul discovered, it is through the multiplication of God's strength in your own weakness. Uh, And so, yeah, that applies to us on a personal level. That applies to us on a corporate level. Uh, What could this mean for the body of Christ? When you look, when you read through church history, you notice that the periods of revival— uh, that happen when the body of Christ is, is really renewed, it's never in sunny weather. It's like always in the dark times. It's always in the middle of the storm. It is only when the body of Christ becomes increasingly dependent on the spirit of Christ that she actually finds her strength, her power. 
And that's what I think we should be praying for all saints and for all the churches of the Treasure Valley to to discover the power of God, uh, the Spirit of God in our midst, the power of God that is made perfect in, in our present weakness. Thirdly, how can we be the body of Christ and bless one another and bless the people that are around us? I have a couple of reflections on that. First, if and when this situation gets worse, and I think that we need to at least prepare that it will get worse and uh, that it will last a considerable amount of time. I know that there are other voices out there that say, we're overdoing it, this is a hoax. Um, We need to prepare for the worst. And if it gets worse, what you'll find is that people in our neighborhoods, they're going to begin to feel more and more lonely. They're going to begin to feel the the greater and greater need for human connection. And human connection is the very thing we should specialize in, right? As the body of Christ, like we should be experts in human connection. You know, we are attempting to restart our community groups through Zoom teleconferencing. You should have received an email about that at the end of this past week. If you're not receiving our emails, uh, let me know and we'll make sure that you're added to the newsletter and to the email list. But, uh, What that means is that we can invite a whole lot more people to our community groups now than we ever were before. We don't have to get everybody in in the room of a house. Like, it's the perfect time to invite other Christians or or non-Christian neighbors that you have to come in and join and be part of the community. Uh, I'd also say that if you're not part of a community group yet, there's no time like the present. If you talk to Pastor Phil, communicate with him, he will uh, get you connected with a group and then maybe the last reflection on this is uh, maybe you have a neighbor or a coworker who would not feel comfortable coming into a community group with a group of strangers, but they would feel comfortable with you and a couple of others. Then use our Zoom, um, church Zoom teleconference account and start a group of your own, your own. I mean, just to get together with them that way to, to pray, to read the scriptures, you know, etc., it is, it is a ripe opportunity that we have right now. You know, NPR did a segment a couple of years ago on why people take celebrity deaths so hard. And we saw this with Kobe Bryant's passing recently. Uh, Kenny Rogers, who growing up as a kid was my favorite. I dreamed of being the, the, the senior, uh, Kenny Rogers sidekick, the gambling boy. And we would, <laughs> yeah, crazy, I know. Yeah, we would go around and we would sing the gambler together. Um, Kenny Rogers was um, uh, in my home playing all the time growing up. But when, when people like that die, Everyone is absolutely heartbroken. And the NPR segment was asking the question, why do people take this so hard? And they were interviewing this guy, and and he basically said this. He said, after watching dozens of episodes of Friends, I felt as if I knew the personas in the show intimately, even more intimately than other real people. In fact, there were times when I had seen more of the characters on Friends than I had seen of the people in my own family. (laughs) In other words, you know, we, we develop an emotional attachment with a sports figure or, you know, a, a, an actor or a, a singer, uh, an emotional attachment and even dependence on these characters. And psychologists call this belongingness, the deep primordial desire in every human being to be attached to someone else. And the longer this thing goes, the more that is going to bubble up 
to the surface of our society. We've got to be, we got to have our eyes open and be ready for that and enter into it. Secondly, you should have already received a call from one of the deacons in our church, or if you haven't yet, you'll be receiving a call from them soon. Uh, I am so proud and thankful and for those guys. They have been amazing in their, their willingness to step up and really take the lead in all of this. Um, they are calling around asking, you know, what are your needs? Do you have enough toilet paper? <laughs> um, how are you doing? And a very other, um, important other question, what is your capacity to serve others? One of the obvious effects, we've talked about it before, one of the obvious effects of our church planting a new church in downtown Boise last year is overnight we got older. You know, the average age of our congregation increased quite dramatically as younger families and singles went to downtown. And that means that today uh, um, we have far more people who are at risk with this virus than, are, than you know, were a year ago in our church. And that is why, in my opinion, the younger of us really need to step forward and find out, do they need a grocery run? Can we come over and do yard work? Is there anything that we can do to help them? I mean, now is the time for like the younger members of the body of Christ to really stand up and make a difference. So I encourage you, if I've just described you, to please let the deacons know you might be able to participate in service. And let me say to everyone, whether you're young or old, that if you are, if you have any needs, financial needs, um, if you need anybody to pray with, if you're struggling at all, please don't keep that information to yourself. I mean, the reason we, ha- we are a body is because when one part of the body hurts, the rest of the body wants to know. The rest of the body needs to know. It would be like me breaking my ankle and then uh, this is a pretty silly illustration, but my ankle telling my brain, please don't let the hand know that I'm broken and hurting down here. I mean, that's so non sequitur. It makes no, <laughs> terrible illustration, right? It makes no sense. If we are the body of Christ, then the whole body needs to know so that the, the body can take care of itself. Thirdly, the road is likely going to be longer than we hoped for or expected. What are some of the implications of that? David Brooks, writing in the New York Times this past week, looked back on the Spanish flu pandemic that battered America in 1918. And what he said in that article is that as conditions worsened, health workers in city after city pleaded for volunteers to come forward and care for the sick. Guess what? Hardly anybody came. In the city of Philadelphia, the director of emergency aid pleaded for help in taking care of the city's sick children. Guess what? Nobody answered. Now, none of us know what will happen next. I mean, hopefully, and we, we are praying that God would have mercy, that we would be able to get on top of this, that we would tackle this, that our leadership in our country would uh, be gifted by God. But... I mean, look, folks, if conditions worsen and worsen badly, remember that for us, death has died in the death of Christ. We no longer fear death anymore, do we? We no longer fear death anymore because death has died in the death of Christ. We have every reason to be the people who step up. If clinics and hospitals get filled and are overflowing and cannot care for everyone, will we as the church step up?
That's the question. Finally, I want to conclude with this. Uh, I mean, a lot of us are probably going to get sick with this. We are going to contract this virus. And uh, we don't know how our individual bodies will respond. But but we're going to get sick. And uh, some of us are going to get very sick. What do we do in those moments? Uh, I came across this by South African pastor Andrew Murray that was very encouraging to me, and I'll pass it along to you. Like, how do we persevere in those moments? So Murray was visiting England in 1895 when his back started hurting him again. He had suffered a previous pretty substantial back injury, and there he was in England away from home. His back is killing him. And at the same time, a woman came to him herself in great trouble, and she wanted to know if he had any counsel and advice for her. And he was sitting at a table writing on a piece of paper, and he he pushed the piece of paper across the table to her and said, I was just writing this down for my own encouragement. Here, you have it. And here's what the paper said. And this was where he was writing to himself. In the time of trouble, say, first, God brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this difficult place. And there's a purpose. Second, he will keep me in his love and give me grace in this trial and enable me to behave as one of his children. Mm. Third, he will make the trial a blessing and teach me lessons he intends me to learn and work in me the grace he means to bestow. And finally, in his good time, he can bring me out again. How and when? Only he knows. But I am here, this is good, I am here by his appointment, in his keeping, under his training for this time. Our God never promised any of us that we would not walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What he promised is that we would never walk there alone. For thou art with me, thou... Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Uh, We have a good shepherd as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We have the shepherd's presence. And we have that presence in the form of the body of Christ. And that's the reason we are here, friends. To be the body of Christ for each other and for this world. For such a time as this. Amen.